0: You're going 80. Years. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I had to slow down to, to
1: 79. It was very upsetting, very upsetting. So I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was white-knuckling it for a little bit, but it's all good.
0: Hi, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Adrienne Johnson. And we're off the beaten path today with Jason Wellman. Welcome, Jason.
2: Thanks. Good to be here.
0: We're glad to have you. We just are curious to have you share your story with us today about what mental health has meant to you, why it matters. We just wanna get to know you a little bit today.
2: Yeah, sure. So I'd say mental health, the awareness that that it was important, uh, really came into my life when I would have been newly married uh, within the first year of my marriage, fresh out of college, had just graduated college, and decided to go to seminary. And that's really when I kind of experienced some um, past issues that I had thought kind of were taken care of, or I just kind of moved past, and it kind of came crashing down uh, in, in, a, in a dream that, that woke me up from my sleep. Um, so part of my story is that you know, I grew up in a very conservative, I would today call it a fundamentalist uh, faith background. It's very conservative. So there was no talk of mental health. Everything was, was very spiritualized. And, and so in the midst of that, when I was 11 years old, uh, I started to experience, uh, became a victim of, of sexual abuse. And so for two years of my life, had my world just kind of blown up. And in the midst of that, my family life was crumbling as well. My parents were experiencing some major difficulties in in their marriage and so after the abuse ended i was left with this void of nobody to talk to nobody to process with and so i just i kind of internalized everything and when you, when i look back at my early teenage years and later teenage years i was i was a functioning teen like i mm-hmm. didn't it didn't propel me into abusive behavior it didn't propel me into uh, drugs or anything that you may hear from other people who have been abused but what it did is it propelled me into working really hard and trying really hard to appear successful but internally feeling like i was a wreck and and a shell of a person so fast forward to uh, seminary in in my first uh, year of seminary we were put in um, small groups cohorts and uh, um, so I'm building relationships with my cohort leader in the, in the team. And one night, I, I had a dream. And it was a, you know, a, a nightmare type thing. And I don't dream often, and so when I do dream, it's kind of startling. Uh, and in this dream, I was at a, a family reunion. So my, my abuser was a family member. And this, uh, my family member was sitting across a picnic table from me, and he had my driver's license. And I was arguing with him about getting my driver's license back. And we're, we're just having this fight over my driver's license. And I remember waking up and kind of a, a sweating and breathing heavily. And, and I was married. And so I turned to my wife and I woke her up and I said, Sarah, I need, I need to tell you about, about this dream. It's really, it's really unsettling. And she knew about the abuse. She knew about my story. So I tell her this, this dream, and she says, she's very wise, and, and uh, she says, I think part of your identity was taken from you, and you've really never processed that. And so she said, I really, I really think that you should tell your cohort. And so that next morning, I, I went to seminary, and I told my cohort, I said, hey, I need, I need to tell you about not only this dream, but about what's led up to this dream in my story. So I shared that with with my cohort. And it was a very, very sacred place to be able to do that. Um, and my cohort leader uh, said, pulled me aside afterwards, and he said, hey, I want you to know that at the seminary, students get free counseling. And he mm-hmm. said, um, I, the, the school I went to had a large counseling program, and said, I really think uh, this is an opportunity for you to start processing uh, some of the pain that you've experienced. And so I I signed up to to go to counseling and for the first time that that I started to receive tools to be able to talk about what had happened. Something I had suppressed and something that I thought, you know, I look relatively normal. <laughs> you know, I mm-hmm. I did well in college. I I worked hard and always had a, a job. And and so externally I thought I was doing really well, um, but my therapist helped me really start getting at more of an integrated self so so that my outside life really matched what was what was going on inside. so that was really the first time that I began to wrestle uh, and 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 experience uh, a healthy uh, environment where I could process some of those things.
0: I'm curious uh, when you were raised in that kind of fundamentalist mm-hmm. it sounds like your your family life wasn't really a safe place that you yeah. could process what happened. Yeah. How did you hold that together? How did you compartmentalize it or something that allowed you to keep going in that point where you turned more towards perfectionism?
2: Yeah, yeah. In in the environment which I was raised in that kind of theological tradition, um, it is not a safe place to talk about those type of things and and I had known other people in my life that had been abused and came forward to talk to the pastor or some you know staff member at the church and were pretty pushed aside and almost made to feel like it was their fault. And so I knew that that the tradition I was in was not a safe place to process it. Um, but then I also, knew my family life wasn't functional enough or healthy enough to process it. So I thought this is something I'm just gonna have to bear on my own. Mm. And I remember having a, you know, at 13, having a dialogue with myself saying, well, I can either let this break me or I can just move on. And I chose the path of moving on thinking that was the best route. Mm. And, and what honestly, what, you know, did help me in the midst of, of that is I had some phenomenal teachers at school. Uh wow, so I cool. would I would find because my home life wasn't great you know struggling as you know everything I was dealing with I would find every activity to participate in at school so I could stay later so it was you know until I had a job um, and I started working under the table at 13 I did anything I could to just not go home and not have to sit and think about uh, some of the things that happened but I had these teachers who would find me projects to do at school you know I'd stick around their classroom and and they'd say hey will you help me file this you know this paperwork and I knew now looking back I know they were just keeping me busy you know. Um, but, but it was that your felt, safe place. It was very safe. Yeah, very safe. Sure. And I think of, of two teachers, uh, two, my band director and choir director. Um, had I not had them in my life, uh, I don't know if I could have made it through school. I mm. mean, they just really uh, were a safe place for me. Uh, and, and I don't know if they knew anything was going on, but they must have been aware enough that and they knew I needed, way. yeah, just needed a safe place to be.
0: How powerful that is for teachers, band directors, yes. people that are on the front lines. Yep,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And I think beyond what they're teaching in the classroom, they're such a, a, a strong presence uh, and an influential presence in a young mm-hmm. person's life. And um, I'm indebted to them. For sure,
0: that is so cool, and then it's so neat too that as you opened up to your cohort mm-hmm. and your professor, that was able to say, Hey, there's an opportunity here for you to yeah. walk more healing, yeah. and that you had the courage
2: to yeah. be able to face it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm grateful, you know, it, I'm grateful for my wife who you know kind of called this out and she gave me language the whole identity bit. I, you know, mm-hmm. I just never thought about that, I never thought. Oh, that's right. Something, a part of me was taken away, mm-hmm. and and I think my kind of inner world was crying out to get that back and to reclaim my own identity. Um, you had a she place where you could deal with the trauma? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so I think she gave me permission. Um, she encouraged me in the process, uh, and it was like it was just like all these perfect things were in place. I had a wife who gave me language and encouragement. I had this cohort leader who told me about the counseling, I was going to a school in which it was free because I'm, I'm a, you know, cheap. And so I probably wouldn't have gone initially mm. as a, you know, poor seminary student. Um, but it was free. And so I really had no excuse. And so it just everything kind of, uh, lined up for me.
0: I'm always impressed by how it's not always the trauma that we go through, but it's how people around us Um, respond to it. Mm -hmm. And if we have support or not, and what a contrast for you that growing up, you didn't really have that safe place at home and you found it by going to teachers and activities and things that could feel safe for you. And then later that what a a changing turning point for you that you were able to have your wife and, and people who were safe for you and then to start into counseling.
2: Yeah. And I think I think, you know, obviously abuse of any kind is traumatic and sexual abuse is really traumatic. Um, For men, it is very hard to feel like you have a safe place to talk about it. There's such a stigma associated with that and masculinity. and, And I think, you know, the timing was right in my life as I was an adult now that I could I could just own up and say, okay, I I need to talk about this. This, this can't, this can't plague me, uh, any longer, but I, but I have such a heart for men who have experienced Mm -hmm. similar things because they may not have the, the social circle, the social environment in which they can, uh, feel free enough, um, to talk. Um, it's, it's such a stigmatized topic for men, um, that, you know, I I look out, you know, a pastor, so I look out at my congregation and just think of the statistics and knowing that there are men in my sanctuary that have experienced the same thing. uh, And it just, it breaks my heart. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I think in general, uh, the more people can have a healthy social environment that's encouraging them (laughs) to go seek help, um, the better.
0: Absolutely. That's powerful. So you're in a position now that you have quite a lot of influence, that you've got people that are listening to you each week and and exposed to your path of mental health. How have you continued to grow into that place of mental health, not only through the healing of your story, Mm -hmm. but also in how you maintain that in your day-to-day life?
2: Yeah. I, you know, for somebody who, you know, I do have influence. And so the struggle I've always had is what is my story for myself and what is meant to be shared. And uh, early on in my healing, it was very much just for me. Like I needed that space just to do my own healing and processing. And it's only been within the last two years that I finally got to the place where I'm starting to feel like because I've come so far in my own healing, Now I'm able to start sharing it and it, and it can become somebody else's, uh, part of their story that they've heard somebody or they know somebody who's experienced it. So, um, about a year ago, uh, in a sermon, I shared this in front of my congregation and, um, you know, it was a nervous wreck leading up to it because whenever you share your story, you can't control it. You don't, you Mm -hmm. can't hold on to it uh, anymore. And so it's very, uh, it's a very vulnerable feeling to stand up in front of people and tell your story. Was it uh, cathartic? Yeah, it it, it was, uh, it yeah, I think it was cathartic in some ways. I think it was freeing. It just felt like, okay, this is, uh, and, and honestly, it felt more like a celebration if I could say a word to associate with it mm-hmm. because it felt like, man, I've come really far. Yes. And now I'm comfortable enough to start sharing this. And, and what the beauty that came out of it is at the end of um, one of the services, um, you know, I'm greeting people as they're leaving the service. And several men kind of pulled me in and said... I'm one of those two. Wow. And it's just for that, for them to feel safe, to be able to acknowledge this is a part of their story. Yeah. Uh, so I've been able to follow up a little bit with them and encourage them and try to find some some counselors. And some of them, uh, one gentleman had gone through counseling and has done really well. Another one is, is just getting to the point where he told me that he was one of those uh, individuals experience was a huge breakthrough in his life. And so that makes you like it. it it's the beauty that comes out of the ashes. It's humbling. You know, it is that that my story and and the muck and the mire that I went through can become something freeing uh, for somebody else or even again for men to give them permission to bear their soul a little bit and say, you know, this, this is me too. I've experienced the same thing. So it's been, it's been humbling for sure.
1: You are that safe figure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I feel privileged. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to connect with other men in that capacity and to know a little bit of their story and to share, to share that with them. So. How do you cope
1: with the vulnerability when you're speaking about your own story?
2: So vulnerability is not my strength. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it, I, I decided this last year. Really, what gave me strength was I went back into to therapy. So I had processed a lot of the healing of the abuse, but then I could tell in my life that I was p- holding people at a distance, mm-hmm. and and couldn't figure it out. I I was doing my doctoral work at the same time, and so I, again people in my life encouraging me. I had a a mentor in that process say, hey, you know, as I was starting to verbalize some things said, I think I think you may want to talk to somebody a little bit more about this and go a little bit deeper. So I entered back into to therapy. And and the therapy wasn't about the abuse, uh, because I had done so much processing and healing around that. It was why am I so afraid to let people in? Uh, And so that having a a pretty intensive year of therapy um this last year really started to give me permission to open up the door a little bit and and just sitting with my my therapist he encouraged me you know you might be at the point where this is this is your next step is to share your story and so I I you know, d- did a lot of talking to, to my wife and family because, you know, she's brought into the story and every, you know, I have, I have four kids and so trying to think through that. So I I had to do some talking with them, my children uh, beforehand saying, hey, you know, dad's going to get up and share a little bit of a story and try to tell them in an appropriate way what, what had happened. Um, and and then just having that encouragement, knowing I had had a therapist who was supporting me. So I shared my story and then uh, on a Sunday and I had a therapy session on Monday morning. <laughs> and so yeah. that was good Guy, that that support yeah, right ready. To, to sit and and, and to process it a little bit more. And, and so now I'm at the place in my life where um, vulnerability, while it doesn't necessarily feel natural to me, um, I'm, I'm getting increasingly comfortable with being vulnerable. So even like sharing this story with you all is a very vulnerable thing to do. But I know that it's it's important to my own healing, and, and hopefully uh, it's important to somebody else who, who might listen and say, that's me too. I've experienced that too.
0: I really appreciate that you did own your story for yourself first, yeah. and that you took that time to heal and to say, this is sacred space that I don't need to put myself right out there right away, yeah. and that you took that time, but then also realize that there's a point where more people need helped, that need reached that if I don't risk stepping out on some level that does feel vulnerable but it can also be wisely with discernment with safety around you having um, an idea of how much to share when or with whom that allows other people to embrace their own healing yeah that's powerful
2: yeah and I think so the the thing I had always watched I, I I watch a lot of other pastors. I watch their sermons and and uh, um, you can tell uh, whether it's a pastor or a teacher or somebody with influence who has done healthy processing and who hasn't <laughs> and and so I wanted to make sure that I had really come to terms with my story and owned it and done the work before i would turn and tell somebody else because i wanted to make sure that my story didn't become damaging to somebody else i wanted to make sure that i had all the appropriate filters in place to share what is appropriate and what's not Mm -hmm. um i knew i needed to do a lot of that work so that my story could be told and received Mm -hmm. uh in in a in a healthy way Um, i've seen people get up and it's it becomes traumatic (laughs) to everybody else Mm -hmm. sitting there listening to their story because they've not done the deeper inner work in themselves, And so I knew I need to do this first before I would ever really get up and share it in a, in a larger capacity.
1: How do you know if someone is a safe person to tell and how would you encourage us to be more safe?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say part of it is intuitive. Um, Part of it is just how you naturally feel around that person. Um, I would say it has to be somebody who just naturally starts creating space without probing too deep. Like they're not—they're not wanting to know all your deepest darkest secrets just so that they can know all your deepest darkest secrets, you know. Right. But they just kind of slowly ease into it, and and you start feeling like this is somebody I can I can let a little bit of my guard down. So. I know for myself, I uh, early on in kind of my own healing, as I would share this with people, I may share just a portion of it and then I would kind of assess their reaction. Were they like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. Tell me more. Or were they somebody who would just say, I'm really sorry that that happened, and was an empathetic person, and that's where that intuitiveness. I think I think our inner world responds naturally to empathy, and so when you are receiving empathy from somebody, um, you just feel like oh, I can, I can lay a little bit more of my guard down. So um, it's it, and for somebody who it doesn't vulnerability is not natural, or doesn't feel natural, it takes me some time, and so I'll share a little piece of the story with somebody. And just kind of assess how are they how are they holding this space with me how are they reacting?
0: Okay, let's just pause for a moment because I want to gather thoughts. And Same. Like
1: I am so humbled to be in your presence oh, thank and walk you. this
2: journey thank with you. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank Appreciate that.
1: And a part of my my inability to quickly react is just sitting with just you sitting in the just, story and yeah. being
0: here is powerful. It's very And it's powerful. like I don't want to just push through that and race ahead. That. Like I'm trying to just. I just want to sit
1: in your space. Honor mm-hmm. the space. Honor it. Mm-hmm
0: it's not just a let's go after this and attack it and ask yeah. things it's like
1: i did want to ask more about how your journey happened like how how did you walk the walk all the way to where you are now what what was the healing journey like for you and mm. what did you do and that emdr piece is really important i think okay but i also don't i mean you two have a more developed relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just poke where I shouldn't poke because sure. I don't, I don't know. I don't know your vulnerabilities. I don't want to be like, so
0: Well, tell and me that's, some, that's, um, that's some of my question too is like.
2: Poke away. Which uh, yeah, I
0: kind of poke. said before, but like how does this get lived out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think let's go there.
1: Ooh, I love that. Ooh. And
0: one of my curiosities too is as a leader, mm-hmm. not just as a person of influence through a congregation, but a staff that you mm-hmm. lead and that you prioritize mental health, how do you notice where there are areas that need worked on for your staff? Mm. And how do you help address those directly? yeah, Based on your healing journey. yeah, oh, So gosh, that you can kind of influence in that way towards other people we've talked on community roots about systemic change Mm -hmm. that how do we change the world and we do that through our own individual healing and then we also do that through uh who we influence in our family and in our workplace through our healing and growth so how have you done that in your workplace and with your staff yeah
2: yeah i think um Part of that comes back to uh, understanding my role as, as a senior leader. I have, um, I do have a lot of influence, and I, I can set the tone of of a lot of our, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of our staff meetings. And so I, I've, I've been intentional with my staff of moving away from a business oriented staff meeting to more of what in, in our you know, Christian theological language is a more spiritual formation oriented gathering. So um, we get to the business of like, what things happening on the calendar and what are the logistics? What tables need set up in this room? We get to that, but we first always spend time. Um, the question I ask my staff, I just had this, this, this last week is, we went around the room and I said, how is your soul? Uh, which is a, is a counseling oriented question, a mental health question, but in a theological language. So, how's your soul? How's your inner life doing right now? And we made space for our staff just to share. Here's what's going on. I'm struggling with this. I'm I'm physically exhausted, and I can feel, you know, I can feel it. You know, I'm 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 short with my family, and it's because I'm exhausted. And so we go around and we we make space for each other, and we give each other permission uh, to bear a little bit more of our of ourselves. Um, so what that has done over the course of really the last year and a half of of kind of redoing the way we do staff meetings is it's created uh, permission. Uh, for our staff to wrestle with some hard things and so out of that have um, I've had one-on-one conversations with staff in which I've said hey you know you shared this in staff and I'm, I'm really appreciative that you did this he, I'm seeing some signs that that are concerning me and I would like you uh, to to you know if if it fits if it works I want to give you some references for some therapists. And so I've, I've referred people to, uh, to, to, I love to say my therapist, Jeff, (laughs) I've referred people to him, um, and, and helped our staff find some other, other resources. Um, I'm really big on, um, taking a day off. Uh, and I always, if, if a staff member comes to me and they say, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm just frustrated they're allowed to leave. <laughs> like I, you know, if they need a day off, that's even if it's an, an additional day off, um, they're allowed to take that. They just say, I need a mental health day. And there's no questions asked. I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like I'm checking it to see, oh, that person's, are they really, you know, taking, it? I don't, I, if they think they need it, then I give them permission uh, to do that. So I think what that's done over time is it's just creating an environment in which we recognize Mental health is something we're all on a journey on. There's no uh, stigma or shame associated with it. It's just who we are. And I think in our line of work, it's so important because we, we as people in ministry, we deal with the trauma of other people. Sometimes that's in a a healthy way where they come to us and they say, I need some help processing this. Sometimes it's unprocessed trauma and we become the target. Um, And so that can become heavy and hard. And so I want to help our staff. I've tried to help our staff create a place where we can talk about that um, and begin to process that together. I
0: love how that values people Mm -hmm. and honors their journey and story as well, that we are, um, limited in our humanity, we don't have a way to just push through everything and yeah. pretend that it doesn't uh, exist. It's so much more powerful to be able to embrace reality and what we need and that it's okay to have needs. Yeah. I'm curious about some of the red flags that you notice whenever you tell someone, hey, I'm noticing this happening. This might be a sign that counseling would be helpful for you. What are some of those things that you're noticing?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, a big, a big thing I notice is when there's a strong reaction to something that maybe is the, the, the thing we're talking about is very trivial. So, you know, I may come into a staff person's office and, And may need to say hey you know have we need we need to think of this ministry a little differently we need to tweak some things and if i get a big reaction whether that's anger or um you know they start crying or some staff you can just see their body they shut down they just like a wall goes up they block it those are red flags that something's going on inside of them that they're not processing it could be that they're just tired you know um or it could be something a little bit bigger and so those become you know i'll have follow-up conversations we'll get through the the thing that needs to get through but often then i'll come back and especially if it's in a group setting i may come back in at a later time and have a one-on-one and say hey what's what's really going on you you reacted far bigger than what the topic required a reaction from. Um, Others are, if I see the staff um, working long hours, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be that they're dealing with a project that's just taking a lot of their time. It could be that they're avoiding something. And so uh, I'll, I'll just ask, you know, they're pretty, I think they're pretty accustomed to me kind of probing a little bit. I'll just ask, you know, how are things at home? How, How are you doing? What, you know, uh, do you still love your job? Like, <laughs> you know, cause it can be easy to, to hate our jobs. And so I'll, I, it's very common for me to just ask some of those, those probing questions. Um, I look at their timesheets and I make sure they're taking a day off. And if they're not taking a day off, I'll come back to them and I'll say, Hey, I I've noticed you've worked three weeks uh, and I haven't seen that you've really taken a day off what's going on. We need to make sure you have a day off. Uh, and then I have to model that as well in my own life to make sure, you know, I'm, I'm really taking, taking my day off as well.
0: I was curious how you keep yourself balanced. If there's so much trauma with the people that you work with, not just on the staff, but with the various family members and people in your congregation that they have so much going on in their life and they are throwing a lot of that around unprocessed. Mm-hmm. How do you keep yourself in balance in addition to your day off?
2: Yeah. So I, I meet with, uh, there it's online, uh, three other guys that I love and trust. And uh, one is from California, one's from St. Louis and one is from Washington. And we get together once a month online and we, um, it's a zoom conversation. So we're seeing each other face to face and we process things. We process what's going on in our family life that, that we need some help with, what's going on in our ministerial life, what are we feeling, sensing going on, inside? just anything. I mean, it becomes such a, such a sacred and, and safe place uh, to talk about. We then get together uh, for a week-long retreat, the four of us together, uh, and so we spend a week together where we process that. So a lot of the things I may deal with at the church or in family life or just life in general— they're a place that I know I can go to and, and share that with. So they've in many ways become my accountability partner. So like going through therapy, a lot of my conversations with them were what I was talking about with my therapist. And they're, they, they're my biggest cheerleaders. You know, they're the guys that hold me up. And, and And again, kind of going back to men's mental health, I think it's so important that men have other men in their life that they can they can have that safety with. Um, it's become so vital to my own, my own well-being.
0: my Well, we're gonna wrap things up today. Thank you so much, Jason, for all that you've shared with us. Such great um, lessons that you've learned along the way of your healing journey. Is there anything as a closing thought that you still have that you wanna share with us?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, I don't, it doesn't matter what your job is. Uh, it doesn't matter um, if you're sitting behind a cubicle or standing in front of a classroom or, in my case, standing up in front of a church, uh, a congregation. All of us need safe places where we can process a lot of the deeper things, uh, whether that's trauma or just the, the stress of our life. And, and so I, I, I hope that as a ministry leader, I can have influence to give permission to my congregation to say mental health is not a scary thing to remove the stigma associated with it uh it's it's it is it's a gift uh and and the fact that there are gifted people that can help us do that uh we all should take uh advantage of that so uh you know anybody who listens that has influence i i think the more you can create that space and permission and encourage the people that you you lead in whatever capacity uh, is is a huge uh support uh for that person
1: I would like to thank you for being here with us. I have been silent in my humility and in my um, honored space to be with you. Um, thank it you. has been it's been phenomenal and breathtaking to listen to your story to allow me to be with you as you share it you share your vulnerabilities and your strengths and your powerful message of destigmatization and sharing mm. and the importance of community uh, it's very empowering to me so
0: i i want to say thank you from thank the you. deepest place in my heart
2: thank you appreciate that
0: we're so thankful you could be with us today thank you It was fun Well, that wraps up our episode for today. If you have any thoughts or feedback, ideas, anything that you would like to communicate with us, we want to hear from you. Um, We want you to feel part of this community that um, you can email us at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. We also keep our important updates that we post on Facebook, you can look for us under community roots. And we would love if you would rate us and review on iTunes. We've got a handful of rates on there and would love to be able to read some of your reviews on the air so that we can, again, build that sense of relationship and community that you are a part of. We want to do a shout out of thanks to Samuel Richards, our manager, um, to Lisa Gilcrest and Adrian Johnson, and to you, and to Julie, and to just our to listeners, especially head. that are encouraged by learning about mental health and having conversations with people that that are important in your life. Um, share our podcast with them so that more people can. Be encouraged on this journey into mental health. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Awesome. Oh my gosh, you are so good. did awesome. Oh my gosh.